You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism and outreach people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecutors too author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Thank you so much for being with us this uh, morning. And uh, I just want to allow the um, public, I want to let the audience hear directly from you a little bit about your background, about your current position, and then we'll get into the conversation. So George, go ahead. Why don't you introduce yourself, brother? Well, Brother Alphonse, thank you so much for this opportunity to be a part of this uh, brand new podcast. I appreciate our friendship and our just our mutual uh, support of one another. Well, I, I was born in New York City uh, in Queens at a hospital that is no longer there, uh, but it is now an intermediate school in Jackson Heights. And my wife was actually born in Brooklyn. Uh, we come from very different kinds of backgrounds. Mine is more German and Irish. My wife's is Italian. So you can imagine that combustible mixture of cultures. We met in, uh, in high school sweethearts, actually married when I was a junior in college. Felt a call to ministry. I did not grow up in a Christian home. And so becoming a Christian and being a disciple and then entertaining a call to ministry was quite strange to us. But nevertheless, we did uh, go to seminary and came back to serve in New York ever since. So we've been on the field in this metropolitan area since 1983. Uh, as a pastor, I worked for our denomination in more of a general uh, evangelistic director you know, for our entire state convention of churches. And then 12 years ago came to the uh, Metropolitan New York Baptist Association as their, uh, they, they say executive director, but we're more of a missions organization trying to help churches be on mission in Metro New York City. It's a great challenge. What a tremendous mission field we share. And, uh, you know, the churches that we serve reflect the diversity and the, uh, and the context of our area, just very multicultural, very dense, diverse, however you want to define a city, obviously New York is that. And that we're just really encouraged by what we see God doing. So yeah, there there are several different things you said in in your introduction. So thank you again uh, for being here. Uh, so one of the things you said was um, that you have served in the past uh, somewhere else, right? That's one. And uh, then you came back in the city, but you were born and raised here in New York City. So that's wonderful. So I wanna I wanna hear a little bit about that because today what the culture is is we see it. What's happening right now? You and I both know. I live right here in Midtown Manhattan, um, right opposite side of uh, New York City Center on 55th Street between 6th and 7th Avenue. So we know what's been going on for the last uh, almost a year now. Um, especially in the wake of uh, George Floyd's uh, murder and then the justice movement in the church uh, uh, getting involved, all that. But I want to I want to talk about a little bit of your childhood. How how did so what was your experience growing up here, you and your wife, because she was in Brooklyn. So I just want to hear a little bit. What did you guys see? 
Was it any better? Was it, is there anything that changed since then? Um, and, and if the church, more importantly, if the, yeah, go ahead. I wouldn't say that, that it's uh, better or worse. It's, it's very different. Um, for example, Jackson Heights. I was born in Jackson Heights, but we, we, we were living in Maspeth. Uh, but Jackson Heights, when I was younger, was you know uh, Irish, Italian, a little bit of Puerto Rican, some Chinese, and a little bit of African-American. But in my lifetime, there's over 130 languages now in that one neighborhood. So just from that standpoint, the, the diversification of the city is just uh, an incredible difference from when we were growing up. Now, we moved out of the city when I was you know, younger, so I have not been back living in uh, the five boroughs for quite a number of years. My wife's, uh, my wife's family was uh, very blue collar. My, my father-in-law owned a, a repair shop, and he repaired cars right on the street like they do today. <laughs> And uh, then his kids all went off to school. And, and uh, when that happened, they all moved out to Long Island. And that's where we met, my wife and I. So uh, we were, like I said, we were not raised uh, in a uh, Christian home in the sense that we didn't go to a Baptist church or an evangelical congregation. We were nominally uh, involved in another religion, which helps us, I think, to understand the the uh, the culture of the city uh, somewhat. But yeah, that's that. That's been our experience. So then, um, whatever was going on versus now, especially in terms of racial justice. Um, so I know. So I get it that you were not involved in the church, so you do not probably know what what was happening as far as the church is concerned. What is going on right now, especially as a mission organization's uh, um, main leader here? in New York City metro um, area. What are you seeing? And can you tell us a little, like elaborate a little, uh, you know, go a little bit in depth, help us to understand, especially those uh, of us who are hearing from outside of New York City, those who are uh, in um, other states, help us to understand what is what is going on here. Well, obviously, we all, you know, if you're talking about either COVID or racial, uh, racial justice issues. I'm talking about both. Sorry, I'm talking about both. Uh, go, go with both. Yeah, for COVID, in our, in our experience with our churches, we, we relate to about 250 churches in the tri-state area, just in the 75-mile uh, radius of Times Square. In those churches, the experience of COVID has been quite different. For example, in one of our congregations in Brooklyn, uh, a church, a pastor had 30 funerals in one month, one month, which practically broke him and his, you know, and his uh, wow. leaders uh, and just, just fractured them for such a <laughs> long time. There were other churches that have relatively uh, skated through this with very little impact. So just on those two extremes, health-wise, that's been quite different from church to church, neighborhood to neighborhood. And I think even our national audience would know that COVID has revealed some real challenges in certain neighborhoods as far as health provision and uh, food distribution and medical care and all of that. Um, uh, and as a result of the, the pandemic, uh, what's going on in ministry has really been impacted. For example, no churches, and you you know this, uh, if you rented facilities, out, you know, if you didn't own your own place, uh, some of our churches are still homeless. 
they, yeah. they don't have a school to go back to or yeah. a movie theater or a community center in an apartment building. They're just kind of either going house church. And now that the weather is changing, some are going to go back outside on Sundays and worship, you know, in a park uh, or on a street corner. So you have churches that cannot get back together. And then others whose membership may have been, uh, may have been a little bit older, they're very reluctant to come back. So some churches are waiting until their entire membership has been vaccinated before they even think of resuming their uh, normal weekly, you know, kind of uh, uh, worship schedule. So relating to churches like that for us has forced us at uh, MNYBA to be very focused and personalized in how we're working with uh, our churches. For COVID, however, we have a lot of congregations that have stepped up in terms of community ministry. And what we've discovered is if your church was involved in the community and saw your community as the place where your mission really is, takes place, then you've done very well in the pandemic because uh, that was part of your mission to begin with. And COVID-19 has opened up all kinds of opportunities for the church to express the love of Jesus to healthcare workers, police departments, fire departments, first line responders, schools, uh, teachers, you name it. Uh, some of our churches are like number one on the speed dial for certain uh, neighborhoods because they were known for uh, serving the community prior to, to the pandemic. But if your church was Sunday focused, and that was the that was where you saw all your worship taking place and all your discipleship taking place, and every and that was the day that you did your ministry, then COVID took that away, and is forcing those churches to kind of reevaluate uh, what their mission is. If you know, if uh, if uh, not being able to worship on a regular basis or having with just all the time to different regulations is forcing them to make all these changes. We have grouped together, uh, Pastor, a number of churches that have uh, done great work in order to try to help learn from each other, kind of sharing best practices. So, for example, we have one church in Brooklyn in Red Hook, doesn't have a building, doesn't have any property and can't meet but they have given out over two and a half million pounds of food in partnership with City Harvest. Every Friday, they mobilize volunteers. The truck pulls up on the street. Uh, they're doing discipleship to, with the families that are waiting for their food and the, the line circles around the block. Yeah, and then pallets of, of, of pre-boxed meals and food are unloaded uh, at about 11 o'clock on Friday, uh, Friday morning. And that we helped to get the volunteers there uh, to provide the labor force for this church. Now, this is a church without a building, with is not meeting, and yet has given away over two and a half million pounds of food. Do, do you think that it's easy for a church without building to be more missional because they don't have a place to attract people? So therefore, for them, attraction model already, it's just hard to work with. Uh, or do you think it's just a... Uh, go ahead. I, I think you were going to say something. I think that, you know, when you're starting a new congregation, uh, yes, a permanent place to worship is uh, definitely a need. But in order to reach your community, you're so dialed into where people are that you're thinking about 
you know, food inequities, you're thinking about after school tutoring, you're thinking about job training, you're thinking all, of, you know, all, all other kinds of things like that is already part of what you're, what you're trying to produce. So uh, COVID was, was, was awful, obviously, but it was, it just produced so many more opportunities if, if you were seen as a trusted person in the community. So uh, in your um, um, experience, do you think uh, churches are looking forward to going back to the previous normal or they're going to adjust to a new normal and they're going to be more innovative and they're going to they're going to try to be more missional? What, what is your what you're hearing, what you're seeing? Well, I think I think it's kind of both and not to be too uh, nebulous about that, but there are some that are definitely looking for this for this to go back to, to normal, which I'm trying to tell them it's not going to be normal. It's never going to be what you thought it was. Uh, I, I am telling churches seize the day. And this is probably the one time in your experience where you will have more unity in your church about trying to reach people and minister to people's needs than at any other time. So uh, really go for, uh, go for maybe a combination of online and in-person gatherings, uh, step up what you do with your volunteers. Uh, don't be so dependent upon clergy for discipling people. And, uh, and so that's where, that's where what I'm trying to say to church. I don't know what they're going to end up actually saying, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. So with, with the same uh, idea, help me now, or, or let's, let's switch the conversation from uh, COVID to the justice, uh, racial justice issue that we have been uh, dealing with uh, for the last, uh, since George Floyd. So do you think that also has affected our ministry philosophy or approach in New York City? Well, I certainly do. And uh, one of our congregations in Brooklyn was the uh, organizer for the Pray March Act uh, uh, initiative. You may have seen that uh, there was various mm -hmm. gatherings across each of the boroughs, and they're still ongoing. One of our congregation leaders actually was helpful in uh, spearheading that. I think, I think the racial issue, Pastor, is very nuanced in New York City. It's not just black-white. Uh, obviously, with the rise of Asian hate crime, too, uh, maybe another kind of form of that has kind of been exposed. So, you know, in our in our churches that, that I relate to of those 250, uh, 42 are Hispanic and 38 are Haitian. Uh, we have a variety of 20 plus churches that are Korean, Chinese, Filipino, a growing number of South Asian uh, churches, especially in Jackson Heights area or in Queens. And then we have uh, African-American, Anglo, multicultural. And I think the, uh, I think the, the murder of George Floyd was a, uh, was an event that catalyzed a lot of thinking about the inequities in our country. But I also think that there are other churches that are struggling to how to respond to that. For example, I was with our Chinese congregations a few weeks ago at their pastor's meeting, and they're not typically like crusaders for rights. And they're really struggling with what is to be our response to Asian hate crime. Uh, not knowing many of the community leaders, they're not, you know, they're not usually out on the streets protesting. Uh, they've 
pretty much traditional in their, you know, Sunday gatherings and discipleship. They're saying, what is our response to be to that? Mm. So uh, they're not sure about that. They're a little bit more cautious, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nevertheless, they are struggling with what, what their, their uh, proper response to that uh, will be. So last night I was uh, having this uh, small group in, uh, you know, Sunday evenings, we have uh, a small group and um, I had um, four, um, one, two, three, four. Yeah. Four Asian um, individuals and three of them were from China. And uh, we, uh, I mean, it was a small group, not a Bible study. So we tried to talk about life issues and uh, then purpose of life. And of course, we always try to uh, discuss faith in the midst of those uh, things. So we're talking about current event. And that was uh, one of the thoughts that uh, um, I heard very clearly from uh, the community. I mean, these uh, uh, three Uh, Chinese individuals, um, that uh, we are Americans too. So, and then one of them said, um, church response, right? What should church be uh, political, getting involved in politics? And uh, because any movement, any protest you lead, it it's, uh, actually sends a political message and even then they were uh, um i think it was one two three uh three or four people from um um, um well they were african-americans so they were start talking about church involvement in the 60s and uh, civil rights movement would not have been uh, successful if it, if it was not for the church so I, i don't know why we ended up talking about it but at the end it was nice hearing and letting the uh, folks talk about it. So uh, my view was that, uh, yeah, I, I personally do not get in, you know, when, when I'm preaching or teaching, I stay away from politics. But here I see you guys sitting in this small group and you guys are directly um, impacted by what's going on in our country, in our city. So yeah, I, I'm okay. We can talk here about these things. I don't have the solution. But the question that they brought, and I'm bringing that to you as a leader, is um, where is that uh, uh, Where is that line that I need to watch out as a pastor? Or you have uh, so many pastors that you are working with. What do you want to tell them? Uh, uh, where should they draw that line so they're not becoming political leaders or political activists? Rather, they are a shepherd of a flock, especially a local body. How far they need to go, how much they need to do. Or or you think it's okay, a church to rise and be that social voice in the community. And even if, uh, if it's... Um, seen as a political voice. <laughs> I just tell you, last night, it was very heavy, um, small group meeting. And at the end, I w- my wife was there and I was like, sometimes you gotta, you just gotta do it because uh, this, if, if I'm calling it a small group, that means this is my, this is our family. So if they want to talk, we got to talk. So go ahead, brother, help us. Yeah, I, I spoke at, uh, on Zoom to a retreat for Chinese students, a friend of mine that does this uh, a, every year. And she gave me an assigned topic, which was nothing to do with uh, with justice, racial tensions. But as soon as the Q&A uh, opportunity was given to the students, that was their questions, and they were all Chinese Americans. 
Um, I would say a couple of things. I say, first of all, uh, I think what you did last night was exactly the kind of thing we need to provide in the church. And that's a place for people to be heard. I think if, if there's one thing that whether you agree with, uh, I, I don't agree with BLM and all of that, but, but there, there's pain in our communities. There's hurt in our communities. There is discrimination that people have experienced. And it's, it's, a, it's a healthy thing for at least for people to feel like the church hears where they are. That's one thing that, that uh, this has, help, has helped to create is the opportunity for people to have a safe place to share their life story if we're really about life, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of churches call small groups life groups, and we do yeah. life together. But how do we, you know, compartmentalize the, a big portion of our experience if we don't give them opportunities to share their uh, to share their hurts, whether it's racially or you know whatever it may be? So I I, I do uh, challenge congregations to find that. I also would say that uh, that leaders need to be connected to their community. They need to be in relationship with school boards and police precincts and community block, you know, associations and whatever to keep a pulse uh, uh, on what real life is like for the people that you're trying to either minister to or trying to reach. That's not being political. That's just being, I think, being pastoral, that you're pastoring a community and not just a people that are in the community. You're called to a place uh, as well as to shepherd a uh, an individual congregation, so you've you've got to take the effort to be uh, in relationship with, you know, with your city council, with your borough presidents, you know, whatever it may be where you are. As far as where the line is, um, yeah, that's a hard one because uh, some of our guys have kind of retreated from the protest side of things because. It just gets so co-opted by other messages, if you know what I mean. Um, even with the Pray March Act uh, effort that I was involved in, I, w- I went to one of the uh, one of the marches. There were opportunists in the crowd that wanted to join the march and take over the the uh, the message, uh, either by holding up a sign or by a chant that was entirely uh, unbiblical, unchristian, and very uncaring. So. Uh, I know some of our churches kind of said, you know what, I'd rather work behind the scenes uh, relationally to use our impact to represent the voices of our people to people in power, but not be associated with this, uh, uh, you know, with protests because it just gets co-opted into another message. Um, so that those are some of the things that we're trying to, uh, uh, we're trying to, uh, trying to uh, communicate. One thing I will say though, Uh, In this group of churches that we've gathered together out of COVID, because their responses have had, they've kind of found their place in what they do well, whether it's like food relief, like this church I told you about, or if it's uh, after school tutoring or uh, other types of community-based ministries, is that to use the word justice or social justice communicate so many different things to different people that even pastors in the group that we put to pull together would say, you know what, I'm just not comfortable using that word because it's so charged politically uh, that uh, if I was to say this to my congregation, they would 
they would reject that. They would, they would, they would say that we're cross. They would say we're crossing the line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we're getting away from the gospel and mm -hmm. our mission. Mm -hmm. So we got to be careful with the diversity of people in New York city. Uh, it's not a binary uh, situation. It's not black, white. It's very nuanced. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it requires a tremendous amount of wisdom for church leaders to know where, uh, where to put their energies as far as uh, addressing this is, is concerned. So as an organization, are you guys providing some sort of uh, uh, coaching or training for pastors? Because uh, this is a real issue we are dealing with. And, uh, you know, as you said that, too, uh, you need wisdom. You need to be careful. Right. Right. We have, we have not provided any kind of uh, coaching for that in specific. I think this group that we're, we've got together called For the City is made up of primarily church planters from different boroughs. And that is a part of their, their discussion that we're not, we're not providing the training. We're providing the platform for them to share their experiences and then to learn from each other uh, in, in what they're experiencing on the field, you know, in their community. So it's more of a team-based teaching. And the purpose of it is not necessarily to train people in how to address social justice issues, but that is definitely a part of the conversation. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, I'm going to, uh, you, you just talked about, again, church planting. Uh, clearly, that's uh, one of the heartbeat or one of the objective of your organization, too. Um, uh, so are we failing in church planting in COVID-19? Is it uh, working? Are people leaving? Are we having uh, how much uh, uh, funding we are losing as a result of uh, pandemic because funding was coming from the outside and those churches are struggling? What is happening in the church planting movement right here in New York? Well, as far as the churches in our association are uh, concerned, obviously a lot of momentum was uh, lost because of because of the pandemic and all the other things that came after that. Uh, there are two things that we're trying to, to accomplish, uh, Pastor. One is we want to see the majority, the overwhelming majority of our church planters to be indigenous to New York. And what I mean by that is not necessarily that you were born in New York. It means you didn't have to move to New York in order to plant. When you move out from out, and, and we love those too, and, and some of the people that we're talking with, that we're working with have great success in church planting. Don't get me wrong, that can be done. But the model for uh, people coming from outside of the city to New York is a difficult one because of funding, yes, because of cost. I mean, to the cost of a family to live in New York, um, insurance, all, all the things that go, go into starting a congregation are so much more magnified when you have a, a planter come from outside. Uh, that's not to say it can't happen. And some of our greatest successes are that, but I think overall the long-term health is to raise up planters from within, which means secondly, that we've got to help each of our congregations to develop pipelines for leaders and to see multiplication of their ministry as a part of their calling. Uh, and they're already in the communities. They already have a sense of the, you know, the life patterns and the people who are living there. So those two things, indigenous planting and each congregation being involved in multiplication, 
I think we have a great opportunity at, you know, right now to, to see that happen. That being said, here's a great challenge. I, you, I, I know you'll resonate with this. With so many of our churches who are non-English in their first language, not to mean that they don't, you know, they don't uh, worship or teach in English today, but if you have 42 uh, Hispanic churches and 38 Haitian, you know, 20 Korean, 20 Chinese, one of the biggest challenges, uh, Pastor, is reaching the second generation, and mm-hmm. and the even even beyond that, and we all know that you know first generation they're going to be very much concerned about preserving tradition and culture and language and almost reproducing their experience of church wherever they came from, uh, which is great. I mean, it, that, that, that's fantastic. But as long as those immigration numbers hold up, then the future of that church is fairly bright. But if immigration patterns change within a generation, that church is struggling because their children are either going off to college, maybe not coming back. They may be more comfortable with English. They have one foot in their native uh, family. They have another foot in the U.S. culture. They, they speak English mostly. How do, we, how do we raise up that next generation of leaders? I think that for the church in New York City is probably the biggest challenge. While not, you know, denigrate, not denigrate, while not ignoring the real needs of, you know, first generation culture. So uh, that's really where uh, I see the real challenge. And that's where the planters are. And that's where the, uh, that's where the future leaders are. In, in some of my experience in, in, uh, in, in our churches, when pastors of these first generation churches retire or, uh, or pass away, the church may go out of existence or become a home fellowship because yeah. they, they have not, they have not raised up another leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, that to me is a, a huge, huge uh, challenge for us. Well, you, you brought, thank you so much for um, speaking into so many different uh, um, aspects of church planting and uh, uh, continuation of uh, immigrant churches and uh, you and I know that immigration and, and the rest of the country understands that too. Immigration is not the way it was. Actually, if you look at the uh, numbers, you will find that we are uh, pretty low on uh, immigration numbers now than um, in the last uh, well, like four or five years at least. Uh, but I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray with you for. Um, uh, the native churches here, ethnic churches, that may the Lord continue to use them and give them wisdom and uh, also understanding how to reach their uh, uh, second generation um, of, of those ethnic uh, churches. But one of the things you did talk about was native in our own context, right? So we usually use native missions, uh, a, a concept uh, for foreign mission, right? Cross-culture rather than... Um, so uh, some churches prefer <clears throat> prefer sending uh, rather than sending missionaries, finding or discovering missionaries, native workers in native lands and working through them. But you are using that here in New York City, discovering uh, men uh, uh, or uh, folks who are native to New York, working with them, raising them, helping them to get to, to that point. But the concept is same. They know the culture, they know their environment, they live here, 
and uh, um, but then you also s- spoke about the multiplication. So, um, how is it different from uh, uh, global n- missions um, when we are uh, sending missionaries overseas or discovering missionaries or national workers overseas who can stay there regardless of the circumstances versus New Yorkers? Native New Yorkers um, who are here, they're not going to leave. This is their home, um, whether they succeed or fail. Um, how is it different in terms of uh, a person coming from outside? I know from my, my experience back in Pakistan, if a missionary is, is white or uh, uh, non-Pakistani, he, for some reason, he is considered as a missionary, but the local person has no value because he is part of the community. So, so, so what? Um, do people see native person, New Yorker, um, a missionary or church planter, um, um, or they just like, oh, he's, he's our guy. He's, he's been around. Or they see somebody coming from outside as like, oh, super missionary is coming. They're going to do something. They get more resources versus the person who is already here. Um, I, I do not know if I'm making any sense. I'm trying to find the comparison between. Yeah, I, I think I can get catch what you're saying. And that is, is, is that person more, either more credible or uh, yes. because they're coming from outside and they are called here to, uh, for a certain mission. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's the issue or not. I, I just think practically speaking, uh, pastor, when someone comes to, uh, when someone comes to New York from another part of the, of the country or even another part of the world, uh, there's so much more practical things to have to adjust to that it takes a lot of time for that to happen. For example, if you live in a four, four story apartment with no elevator, right? Uh, how do you do grocery shopping? <laughs> You've got to be able to walk to the store yep. probably carry those groceries with you up and down stairs. Uh, uh, the time and effort it takes just to do that is maybe you don't anticipate how much effort that really is. Yeah. If you have yeah. children, Mm-hmm. And you're going to go to church somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, when you're taking baby bags and food and diapers and changes of clothes and toys and, and you're getting on subways to go to, to go to church. That's so hard. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then the, then the space, you may not have a private bedroom, you know, for all of your kids. Uh, and with the pandemic, you're working from home. So it's, mm-hmm. so it's a lot of these things that uh, we just don't think about mm-hmm. living here. When someone moves here, boy, that is just, that's just hard. I totally understand what you're saying, brother. That's just hard. And yeah. you know, if it gets too hard, if they're really not cold, they're going to mm-hmm. say, you know what? Uh, I didn't sign up for this. Um, yeah. uh, I want some green grass in my backyard, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> so they may at some point, or if their family of origin, where their families are, is, is in trouble, or if their parent dies or their grandfather dies, and they, they feel that tug. And they should, you know, to maybe maybe go mm. back. Whereas mm. an an indigenous person, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. If this church plant doesn't succeed, he's not leaving. So yeah. he is bought into this from. Amen. Yeah, I love George how you're using native, indigenous. These terms are far too often used for global or foreign missions, but I love that you're using it right here in urban setting. Um, our, our urban voices uh, 
uh, are important in that context when it comes to contextualization, when it comes to uh, defining how the mission is working because we work here, we live here, we know how things are. So let me close with thank you so much. And uh, I, I wish we can just like talk and talk. It's, you're, you're full of wisdom um, and so many experiences. Love it, brother. So as I close, tell me a joke. You're asking me to tell you a joke? Yes, please tell me a joke. We had a very serious conversation. I don't want the audience to just leave with all of these different challenges and uh, serious conversation. I love my guest telling us a joke. No, I'm, I'm not prepared to give you one. I don't. I can't. Believe it or not, nobody is. Almost. Okay, so there was only one person who was super fast with the joke. Only one person so far, almost everyone. And some of them got so like uh, um, nervous or weird about joke. They literally end up talking about more about the ministry. I said, no, no, you're trying to redirect me. You're trying to distract me. I need to know. Uh, uh, I need to hear a joke. So go ahead, brother. Tell me a joke. It could be a simple one. Could be a simple one. Oh, my. I. I'm not a joke teller. I, I, I'm more of a prankster. You know, I'm more of a, uh, uh, you know, I saw my grandkids yesterday and they're used to me pulling jelly beans out of their ear. They think that I can find, you know, hidden pieces of candy uh, whenever I come over. So I just, uh, uh, I, I joke around with them a lot. So they walk up to me with their heads turned to the side so I can see inside their, uh, their earlobe. And uh, so. That's good. Uh, yeah. Hey, you know right. what? There's great beauty in this world and there's great joy in this world too. And uh, just get out and enjoy God's creation and Amen. Just, uh, just flood you with his grace and, and, and Amen. be joyful. And if you are a grandfather or if you're, I mean, or father, uh, that's a good uh, trick. Learn the trick and pull uh, jelly beans from your children's ears. They will enjoy and you will enjoy too. So with that, we're going to bring this uh, uh, podcast or this episode to uh, uh, temporary end. We'll continue again one day with uh, George, hear more about the ministry he's doing here with his organization. Let's continue to pray for his organization. With that, um, I just want to thank you for listening to us. I'll see you next week with uh, our new guest. Until then, God bless you all. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.